I mentioned a few weeks ago, I believe, uh, that my my older brother, some of you have met him, a lot of you have met his wife, Stephanie, uh, adopted two children from Russia when they were seven and eight years old. It's good to know somebody who's adopted. It's good to know somebody who's adopted somebody. Because one of the key concepts in understanding our salvation is the concept of adoption. It's interesting to me because in Scripture, we are born into the family of God, and we are given a spirit of adoption. We're born again. So there's something unique about our adoption into the family of God in that it involves a new birth. Most adoptions do not involve a new birth. But this one does. But I wanted to think together this morning as we're talking about the family of God, the church, how we think about the church as a family. I wanted to think a little bit about being adopted. I'm guessing that most of us have not had the experience of being adopted apart from our adoption into the body of Christ. Some of you may have been adopted as children. I think about my niece and my nephew, Irina and Dimitri, they're now in their 20s. They both graduated from university. They're both married. Irina has two children. And if you were to meet them today, you probably would not guess that they were born in Russia. You probably would not guess that they were born in uh, rather desperate conditions in Russia. That they had grown up in a Russian orphanage where they were reasonably well cared for until they were seven, eight years old then I'd like you to put yourself in that position. Imagine you were born in, a, in Russia and you were an orphan and you were in a Russian orphanage for the first seven or eight years of your life and then these people came along. These Americans. And they said, we will adopt you. We'll make you our own. We'll bring you into our family. I'd like you to imagine what kind of adjustment that was <laughs> to go from a Russian orphanage to this affluent suburb in Tennessee. To go from everyone around you always speaks Russian to you all the time and that's the only language you know to being 
to going to school where no one, no one speaks Russian. They all speak English of a sort. It's quite an adjustment to make. It's a completely, completely new world. In uh, Russia, it gets bitterly cold for a long time every year. In Tennessee, it gets bitterly cold every now and then during the winter. It's a different world. What I'd like you to notice is that that adoption out of that Russian country into this American sort of rich, white, suburban country, the difference, the adjustment made between those two worlds is nothing compared to the adjustment we are making coming from the world into the family of God. Nothing. It's a tiny adjustment by comparison. And I think it's good for us to bear in mind in our adoption that what we're doing, what's happening in our lives is a similar adjustment. It involves a complete change, a change of values, a change of uh, even self-understanding. It involves learning a new language. It involves uh, developing whole different ways of being, of relating to one another especially. Now let's imagine this didn't happen, but let's imagine that at the same time my brother adopted these two kids from Russia, that he adopted another kid from China, and another kid from Zambia, and another kid from Spain, and another kid from Peru. You know, even though the Peruvian kid and the Spanish kid speak the same language, they don't actually speak the same language, right? they'd have a hard time understanding each other right at first. And what is going on in this room every Sunday is exactly that. Because I'm not from your country, and you're not from my country, and I'm not just talking about our countries, right? I'm not just talking about our cultures. I came from a particular family and you came from a particular other family. And every little family has a culture and a way and a... And here we are. We've all been adopted into one family. That's a challenge. We are all growing together in the family Abba the God our Father family. 
And we've all been touched by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God so that we know our elder brother, the Lord Jesus, and we've recognized his saving work for us. And I've come into the family and you've come into the family and here we are standing next to each other. And I look at you and I think, wait, how did he get in here? And when I say that, I'm not, I'm not noticing that there's somebody in the room looking at me going, how did that guy get in here? Because I'm still thinking in the world, like the world. It's a big transition. And I've recognized the grace of God, but I need to grow in grace. I need to grow in the, oh wait, nobody's here because they deserve it. Especially not me. But nobody. I think you can imagine some person in this world who might come in through the doors of this church and by doing so, shock you. There's some people in this world that we regard as beyond the reach of the grace of God. Now, we know that's not true. But emotionally, we still think that. I think, oh, really? There are people in this world that I do not bother to share the gospel with because I am pretty sure it won't work. In fact, for most of us, there are whole classes of people in that category. We need to grow in grace. We need to understand that there isn't a person who's so gone wrong that God cannot reach them. We need to remember that I did not bring myself into the kingdom of God. that left alone by God, I am not savable. I am beyond salvation, apart from God's grace in Christ. There's no merit. Now, we say this all the time, right? There's no merit. But this is the thing we need to say all the time because we are constantly forgetting that it's true. And so we have this thing where I think, well, you know, I don't know about that person. I don't know if God's grace can save them. And I don't know if God's grace can grow them once they're saved. They don't seem smart enough or white enough or this enough or that enough. 
We all have our categories. This is something of which we must constantly repent. And when I say repent, I don't mean like commit to do better, strive hard, strive hard. Every time I tell you to repent, you think you can do it yourself and you can't. The first thing to do in repentance is pray, of course. Pray, God help me, because I seem to be a helpless case. God help me. God help me. We are not the tribe of striving for goodness. We are the tribe of Abba. We are the family of Abba, the people who cry out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. If I don't have him, I've got nothing. So I recognize that in this family, our identity is that. We are his children. We are, his, we are therefore brothers and sisters in the truest possible sense. I am more the brother and sister of the family of God than I am the brother or sister of my natural brothers and sisters. Thank God, in their case, it's both. Our fellowship with each other is and only can be out of our identification with Christ, our assurance of his love, our unconditional, irrevocable acceptance by God himself, of us in Christ, by the faith given by the Spirit. That is the beginning and the end of our brotherhood. Because that's true, we can read in Philippians, if, 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 so, if, there's any encouragement in Christ. I've experienced some encouragement in Christ. How about you? You notice it's encouragement in Christ. It's comfort from love, the love of Christ. It's participation in the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, affection and sympathy, the affection and sympathy of Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are. And how we do, and what we do, and how we share this life together in the body of Christ always is grounded there. And if we attempt it otherwise, it will fail. Because all we can do, all I can do as your brother in Christ is share what Christ has given me. So, Paul says, complete my joy. If there's any encouragement, comfort, participation in the Spirit, affection, sympathy, complete my joy. Fill it up. Nothing will make me happier, the apostle says, than being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The joy in unity. This is how we do things in this family. 
Now, you came from some other family, and some of those families did stuff kind of like this, but not exactly. But in this family, this is the way the Father has determined for us of living together with one another, of relating to each other here in the family of God, brothers and sisters. The same mind, the same love, in one accord, one mind. I think he means having the same mind that's the mind he just described. The mind that recognizes grace and so recognizes that it has been utterly, totally, irrevocably accepted by God in Christ, by the Spirit, and that recognizes that in the brother or the sister. That mind. In one accord, one mind. What what other than Christ and the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us is one about us? You can't find one single thing. Now, me and one of you, we might find some things in common. In fact, we could look all look around the room and find two or three other people who come from the same country we have, did or speak the same language we do. We have some things in common. But there's nothing about which we are one, all of us, every one of us, all the time, except Christ except the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. That is the oneness. There isn't another oneness. And so when Paul calls upon us to have the same mind, the same love, be in one accord, he's not talking about, well, it comes around to something like unity around how we're going to behave or unity around how we think of the interpretation of Scripture or blah, 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 but the unity is in Christ. That is a unity that does exist, whether we recognize it or not, but he's encouraging us to recognize it. It's a joy. It's a joy. It's a joy. We just spent several minutes singing. Did we enjoy it? I did. I did. Now, I could enjoy singing some songs that have nothing to do with Jesus. How about you? You probably enjoy singing some songs that have nothing to do with Jesus. There's lots of cool songs. We each have our musical preferences. But what a strange thing for all these people to gather together in a room and all together sing praise to God in Christ and by the Spirit. I'm telling you I enjoy that more than I enjoy any other kind of singing. It has to be sung. It has to be. It's not really enjoyed without singing. One mind, 
There's joy in this unity. How strange that God gave us music. Music is the strangest thing. And we sing together and play together, and it becomes one thing. Even though it's, I don't know, 90 different things, and uh, this instrument and that instrument and that instrument, all that together, each one singing his part, becomes one thing. What a great illustration of the body of Christ. I read this theologian, I read his book. It was really hard to understand because he's some kind of genius. It's really hard to understand, but one of my favorite parts in this book is how he talks about in Christ, in the incarnation, I'm imagining the arm of God going into the world. And in the incarnation, and in the work of Christ, God reaches into the world and wraps us up into the Trinitarian song. You know, the Trinitarian song, Father, Son, Spirit, is eternal. It's been going on. It doesn't make sense to say it's been going on before time. How is there before time? i got to have time in order to talk about before, but it's eternal. Beyond our comprehension, the joyful fellowship of the triune God has, is, is what is. And is self-existing uncreated and always has been a fellowship of persons, Father, Son, Spirit, a song of enjoyment, of praise, of glory. And in creation, God has determined to shine in a new, uh, in another, uh, we can't talk about this. So in the beginning, God created. Which means in the beginning, God was already there. He's self-existing. And he's the Trinity. And he is singing the song of the ages. And in Christ, he has brought this little fellowship of meaningless people into the glorious choir of heaven. There is joy in unity. We have the same mind. And so Paul goes on. He says, Don't, do, do nothing from rivalry. <laughs> now this is the difference between this family and the one I grew up in. How about yours? Now I guess I would have to say, I think my parents had this same rule for our family. But... Children are not too good at this rule, as I've observed. I certainly wasn't. Here's what the word rivalry means. Do you see? 
out of my way, Matt. This cake is mine. Rivalry is that pushing to get ahead. Competition. There's a famous phrase for this, sibling rivalry. We sort of expect rivalry among brothers and sisters. Paul saying, not if they get grace, we don't. Not if they get grace, we don't. Not if they know Abba, we don't. Changes everything. And so when we come in here, I don't need to shove you out of the way. I don't need to get the seat. You remember the, when Jesus talked about getting the seat? You remember that, right? Which seat did he tell you to get? You remember? He said when you go to a big dinner, big fancy dinner, he told you which seat to go for. Worst seat, that's what he said. And you know, he went for the worst seat. So he wasn't just kidding around. He wasn't telling you to do something he doesn't do. He says here in the family, if you want to fight over something, fight over last. Fight over the worst. I don't know about your family, but in my family, there's five children in my family. So we had a vehicle thing called a station wagon. And of course, when we were going gonna go somewhere, every every did we catch it? <laughs> if we were gonna go somewhere every time someone would say shotgun do you know what that means? That's a very American thing. Shotgun is the front seat next to the driver. It's called shotgun because in the old west, with a stagecoach, there was a driver, and then to fend off bandits, there was a guy sitting next to him with a shotgun. And so when you say shotgun, that means you want to ride up next to the driver in the old days, who would want that job? But, you know, there's a f fight. I called it, you call things in your family? I called it. That's rivalry. In this family, if I call it, it's to give it to you. No, you. No, you. No, you. No, after you. No, after you. We should be backing up, getting, trying to get people in front of us in the line. This is how a brother who understands grace behaves. He goes on, no rivalry, no conceit. Conceit is just self-importance. I just think I'm important. You really need to give some thought to who do you look down on in this world. I, this is my recommendation. 
think of the categories of people you look down on in this world so that you can repent because you're not that important. If we look to Christ, we can't look down on anyone else. No self-importance. This is a different kind of family. Different kind. He says, but in humility, get this now. Can he be serious? Count others more significant than yourself. Is he kidding? Have you ever seen anyone actually do that? It's pretty rare. Count others more important than yourself. This is just what I was saying before. It's a, it's a fight over, the, over last place. It's demoting yourself and promoting others. It's Here's an example from the Bible. John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. Lots of people think the pastor is important. That does not help me. I'm just telling you, for real, it doesn't help me. For you to think I'm important. For you to think I should be too deferred to. I might have an education. I might be able to tell you a lot about what the Bible says or what theologians have said over the years, but that doesn't make me important. So how do you promote someone? And what he's talking about here is not just how we behave, but also how we think. It's think of others as more important. Okay, now is this getting just crazy impossible? Do you think of others as more important than you? Because I don't. I always think of myself. I, I, no one has to tell me to think of myself. I'm always wondering what everyone else thinks about me, like I matter somehow, like I'm some kind of big deal. My pastor in Nashville used to like to point out to us that nobody's thinking about us as much as we're worried they are. They're all thinking about who? themselves. This is a different kind of family. This is not the way the world is. This is not like our natural families. This is a whole new thing for me to say, oh, because I see the great glory of the grace of God in Christ, that humbles me. 
You see, God's grace doesn't recognize any of my merits. There's a passage of Scripture where it says, God is no respecter of persons. God never looked at a single human being apart from Jesus and said, wow, never happened. Maybe Adam and Eve, right when he first made them, he said, oh, very good. But he wasn't talking about them, was he? He was saying, wow, we did a great job on this. This is great. In our image, according to our likeness, this is going to be great. Especially when we get to Jesus. Goes on. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. (laughs) Do you know anyone else's interests? There are some people you're especially close to and you probably are familiar with some of their interests. Is this not crazy? Is it just me? This, this, uh, this phrase literally says, look out, keep an eye on. It's the word that has the, uh, the root of the word scope in it. Scope. Like looking through a scope. Keep a close eye on other people's stuff. (laughs) Keep a close eye on what matters to someone else or what matters for someone else, whether it matters to them or not. So if I appreciate the grace of God, what am I most concerned about for you? how well you appreciate the grace of God. I can't do you a bigger favor than to get you to see the love of God in Christ somehow. See it? See it? Look, look. Hey, everyone, let's get together on Sunday and re-examine the great glory of the gospel, the beauty of Christ. Let's see it again. Isn't that what you need? Isn't that what would really, really be good for you? Okay, but there's that. But then there's also everything else that matters to you or matters for you. Maybe I should care whether you have enough to eat or a good place to stay. Maybe I should care whether you're getting a good education. Maybe I should care if you need a ride to somewhere next Tuesday. Or if uh, you've been having a kind of a 
gloomy week this week and you need somebody to shake your hand or smile at you and give you a big hug when you get here on Sunday. Because you've been out there in the world and the world has been tearing you up, but here, 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 we embrace, we smile, we enjoy God's good grace and we love each other. Because you are my brother and you might have come from some crazy place that has everything upside down according to where I came from, but here, it doesn't matter because we know God in Christ. We have experienced His absolute, unconditional, irrevocable acceptance and love so that the Spirit of Christ in us cries out, Abba, Abba, Abba. So we are one family. So I can try to keep an eye on what matters for you. You know, in my family, with my brothers and sisters, we could do that from time to time. Today, if my, any of them came to me with any kind of a need, I'd do what I could do. I know I trust them that way as people. I know that if I, if I needed something, they'd try to help me. Because, because, wait, why? 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 Because I'm their brother. No other reason. No other reason. And if you need something, the rest of us will try to help you for no reason. Not because you're going to pay us back one day. Not because we like you. Not because there's anything special about you. Not because you brought anything in here. Not for any reason except we all know Christ. And that's the sort of grace we've gotten from Him. No reason. There's no reason for the love of God. There's no merit that brings it on. It is. It's unconditional. I know, we say this all the time, but we don't get it. Do we? That's what we're doing here in this family. We're trying to get it. Every week, every meeting, every time your home fellowship group gathers, every time we get together, what are we doing? We are trying to get it about the love of God in Christ. And it is, speaking of upside down. So, we, because of who we are, we enjoy the unity of the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We have the same mind, the same love. We live in one accord, in one mind. There's no rivalry. I don't push you out of the way to get ahead of you. There's no self-importance. I don't look down on you. I cannot, if, I cannot be with Jesus if I'm looking down on anyone. Because Jesus put, took himself to the bottom. So to be with him, I've got to go down there where he is. I've got to humble myself and promote you. I've got to think 
whatever you need is more important than whatever I think I need. And this is a way of thinking that makes no sense unless I know Jesus. And if I know Jesus, it's the only way of thinking that makes sense. Keeping an eye on what matters for you. How? Well, it begins and ends by focusing on Christ. Understanding the gospel together. So for this, we might want to have a Bible study. Do a Bible study. Learn the word of God. Know what's in it. Understand it. Understand its correct teaching. Uh, To do this, I might need to submit to the teaching of some elders. This is all called for in the scripture. We need to, if I'm going to care about what your interests are, I might have to find them out. So I guess we're going to have to get together, maybe in person. We have to gather, we have... So the scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. (laughs) Let us encourage one another. Well, you can't do that unless you're with people. And that isn't to write a rule that says, be sure to go to church whenever you can. We don't live by rules. We are free. We see the opportunity to be together with our brothers and sisters as just that, an opportunity, not a demand, not an imposition, not a burden, not a law. So we spend time together really getting to know each other. Oh, wait, if we're really going to get to know each other, I have to let myself be known. This, I think, is the hardest thing about this new family. I have to let myself be known. Man, you don't do that in the world. It will eat you alive. And here's the problem with a lot of churches. We behave in a worldly manner if anyone lets himself be known. And so what do we do when we come into church even? Keep on hiding. Keep on hiding. Keep on hiding. I wish we didn't have to do that. It breaks my heart. Don't you long for the place where you can be so completely accepted and trust in that reality so much that you could bear your soul and receive the embrace of God's love instead of the judgment of some buddy who's looking down on you? It's hard to uh, grow in God's grace because it does, in fact, lead us here. I need to let myself be known. And so I want to encourage you to let yourself be known. And I understand the risks. And I also want to exhort you, if someone comes to you and shares something with you, some struggle they have, some burden, some difficulty, something you know they'd 
really rather keep to themselves probably. If someone brings something like that to you, please, please hug them. And communicate to them that whatever you think of their problem, their sin even, you do not reject them. Because in Christ you have been unconditionally accepted yourself. There's no condemnation. Unconditional acceptance. I, I really wonder how much of that I have in me. <laughs> Unconditional acceptance. That's why I got to keep begging, begging God. And I got to think, how can I help you? For real. For real. How can I help you? In this family, that we ask that question. How can I help you? Is there something I can do? Can I serve you in some way? Not because I have a rule for this. Not because our religion requires us to serve a burden. No. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Joyful service. I don't say, how can I help you? Because it's my duty. I have to. I say, how can I help you? Because I am looking for ways to exhibit God's grace toward other people. Now, I'm not looking for that if I'm not getting it from Him. You are not the source of this. He is. But if you come in here on Sunday morning and you come through this worship service, and your heart is restored to the glory of God's goodness and grace, this will happen. You'll go, how can I help you? To somebody. It's going to take time to develop in this new family, right? To grow again into the people God is raising us to be. God's raising us now. God's raising us now. I wonder if he can handle it. God's raising us now, but we're resistant and slow. So it will take some time. And you're going to bump into somebody, even in the church, who is getting it wrong that day. Could be me. I can think about over the past week, and uh, yeah, I think it was me a couple of times. We have to grow together. It takes time. It takes, uh, it's, it's not free. You have to spend time together. And if we're spending time together and we're not doing something else we could have done, there's a cost. But you see, this. This family of God thing is designed by God to happen in a local church. In your own local church. 
That's where you can actually maybe have a shot at this. Today, we're having our first home fellowship group meetings. That's a place where this kind of thing can happen. Doesn't always happen, but it can. And this kind of thing can happen when you're doing something that doesn't even seem aimed at it. Like you're just sitting down and uh, eating together. And you share some goofy story you heard. You know, when you share a goofy story or a joke with me, I get to know you, don't I? And sometimes, after you do that for a while, then somebody says, I need to get this off my chest. And it's real time. We, we need the friendship and brotherhood of the body of Christ. We need it. We were taken from all these strange countries and different lands and weird families. and We have been gathered together in the adopted child of God, Abba tribe. And so we're here to love one another, to share what we've received, so you can do that. Now, I mentioned the home fellowship groups. Uh, so that's an opportunity for this. We mention these groups like every time they meet, but we don't always talk much about how you might get into one. So I'm going to depart from the speech for a second here to take care of some practical business. So what I want to do is, if you are, if, if you are a home fellowship group leader, or if you host a home fellowship group in your house, I'd like you to stand up right now. Sorry I didn't warn you, but I'd like you to stand up. So if, if you're not in a home fellowship group, just pick out one of these faces, you know, I don't care, whoever you like the best, <laughs> and go introduce yourself after the service, and uh, they might invite you to their home fellowship. Consider yourself invited to their home fellowship groups. By the way, we're going to try to organize that a little better than what we just did just now. But We're brothers and sisters adopted into the family of God. And so we have the love of Christ, so we can share it. And this whole sermon, I didn't... This whole sermon is about stuff I think you should do. Have you noticed that? I don't usually preach that way. It always makes me uncomfortable. Because I'm really worried that you're going to just make yourself a list of things to do. And that's not really generated by Christ's love operating in your heart. So I always want to say, look, it begins and ends there. Do you know what comes after? The, well, of course you do, because we read it. It says, if there's any encouragement with Christ, that's where it begins. If there's no encouragement in Christ, please don't worry about any of this. If, there, if you are not personally in love with the love of Christ, please do not worry about how you're going to share it with anybody begins there. It also ends there. You see in verse 5, 
Let each of you, oh, sorry, that's verse 4. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How do we have this mind among ourselves? It's ours in Christ. No Christ, none of this. It's always in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So at the beginning, <laughs> I know, and by the way, here's how it works. If, I, if I'm preaching sometime and you start feeling guilty, well, you are. Okay? Just accept the verdict, guilty. What do you do with your guilt? The cross of Christ. Okay, so this is the process. I feel terrible. I'm a horrible Christian. I'm no good at this. Every time I go to church, I get reminded about all these things I really should do, and it makes sense that I would do them if I'm a Christian. I might, maybe I'm not even a Christian. Ah! Where do you go with that? To Christ. To Christ. This is how you be a Christian. You don't become a Christian by working hard to behave like a Christian ought to behave. You don't remain a Christian by working hard to behave like a Christian should behave. A Christian is a person in the Abba tribe, a person who simply looks to God as his provider in Christ by the Spirit. So whenever you get frustrated, whenever you're struggling, what do you do? Pray. Prayer is everything. It's the whole thing. As soon as you pray, you are back. Whatever God's answer to your prayer is, He'll answer you any old way. Some of them you won't even notice. Most of them you won't even notice. As soon as you look to Him, it's the looking to Him. So, all these things we do to share the love of Christ in the family. Same mind, same love, one accord, one mind, no rivalry, no self-importance, demoting yourself, promoting somebody else, keeping an eye on what matters to someone else. All those things begin and end in Christ. Father, we give you thanks for this great love you've shared with us. Thank you for bringing us into this family. Lord, help us, help us, help us. We want to exhibit your love. We want to show your grace. So, Father, we just pray that the Spirit of God would so fill us that we would always be mindful of your grace and the way it operates in us, the freedom it gives us, the security, the power, the direction it gives us. Lord, I pray that this church would be a church where the prayer of our Savior would be realized that this is how we would be recognized by the love that we have for each other. Help us to see this great opportunity. Help us to take hold of it. To take hold of you. Pray in Jesus' name.